Welcome. You are listening to the Demand Generation Show, Episode 8. Today, we are talking with the queen of PR and social media, Jenny Dietrich. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Episode 8 of the Demand Generation Show. I am really excited about today's interview. Uh, I'm getting to talk to one of my favorite people, uh, Jenny Dietrich. She's the CEO of Armin Dietrich. She started the blog, uh, Spin Sucks. Uh, I've never seen anyone who's been able to truly and literally build a business leveraging social media, leveraging outreach, building relationships through social media, uh, like Jenny has. Uh, I, I actually met Jenny through Twitter. She was one of the first real people that I met through Twitter. I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, the, I think the first tweet she referred to, she was speaking in Las Vegas somewhere and was talking about ordering a steak. I made some comment about that. Uh, the next thing I knew, I said that I was heading out to Colorado uh, for a speech, and she tweeted me asking if she could just jump into my suitcase, that she was really small and she'd be able to fit in because she absolutely loved Colorado, uh, and, and I have uh, loved her ever since. Uh, the reason I'm talking to her isn't because I'm such a fan. It's really because she is revolutionizing a crucial area of the world in demand generation. Jenny started off as a traditional PR person. Uh, she worked for a major PR firm. She did the PR thing. She started her own PR agency. She got people's name in print. She got products in print. Uh, and what she began to realize was that names in print did a lot of good for ego, but didn't do so much for revenue. And as she became a business owner and really evolved on her journey as a business owner, she understood how much business results were what mattered. And she realized that marketing in general, uh, PR specifically, and social media, while they were certainly tools that should be used and they had a lot of value, they really struggled connecting to the impact and the result that it brought to a business. Um, and so Ginny has really dedicated a whole lot of her professional career to changing that, to eliminating the bad name associated to PR, and to helping businesses of all shapes and sizes, entrepreneurs and marketers, uh, to be able to leverage the tools as they exist today to authentically and effectively communicate with whomever it is that you're trying to communicate with. Uh, Jenny's a totally authentic, straight shooter, uh, very funny, and uh, apparently she likes to ride her bike a whole lot. I think she does uh, like 15, 20,000 miles a year or something like that. So uh, very active in a number of ways. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, please uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't on iTunes. Uh, if you want to send any comments to us or if you have any questions, you can email me at Doug at ImagineLLC.com. Uh, the show notes today will be available. It's episode eight. You just want to go to www.imaginellc.com slash podcast, and you can see anything that we refer to and get the notes from today. And with all that said, let's go ahead, let's get started, and everybody, here is Jenny Dietrich. 
Alrighty, joining us on the show today is an old friend of mine, and I mean old that we've known each other for a long time. Right, not old in age. Exactly, still very, very young. <laughs> Ginny Dietrich, thank you for joining us. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about you? I'm so happy to be here, Doug, though. I know I think it took us like six weeks to get this scheduled. So <laughs> this was the interview that was never going to happen. Exactly. Never going to happen. We were like, we are going to do this if it kills us. <laughs> um, I run a little marketing communications firm that's actually virtual now, but I'm based in Chicago. So we say based in Chicago. Um, I also am the author of Spin Sucks, the co-author of Marketing in the Round, the co-host of Inside PR. Uh, I think I do some other stuff in there, too, but those are the big things. Well, and you're also um, pursuing world domination, if I remember correctly. Correct. That is correct. We will get there eventually. Google has its feet right now, but eventually we'll get there. It's temporary. Temporary. Right. Completely. All righty. Let me ask you the, the get to know you question that I like asking everybody. What was the first concert you ever saw? <clears throat> I hate to admit this out loud, not because of the concert, but because I think I was 30 before I went to my first concert and it was Madonna. Oh, wow. Yeah. 30 and Madonna. See, you could have said Madonna and people would have had no idea. I know, but yeah, I didn't see a concert until I was 30 because when I was a kid, we were very, very poor. And so there was like concert, but you want to do what? No. So yeah, I think I was, I think I was 29 or 30. I was old. Wow. Well, you'll be happy to know that my first concert, I was actually very young, but it was Kenny Rogers. It was. <laughs> it was Kenny Rogers. Yes, so it was. I, I think that's why I've been to so many concerts in my life is I've been trying to redeem you try to get that out from. of your head? Or... But, but I will be seeing Holy Bruce Springsteen whoa. for the 44th time in a couple of weeks. Holy cow. So, you yeah. and a friend of mine should get together. I think she just, I can't remember what the, her number is, but she just saw him on Friday night in L.A. for yep. something like that. Yep. Yep. Crazy. All right, let's get into. I'm sure everyone wants to hear about our concert. <laughs> well, they might. They might. Our concert history. This is our conversation, not theirs, anyways. Correct. So, you know, it's fascinating. I still remember the first time I met you. Um, it was in a lovely restaurant beneath your office, and we enjoyed some wine. Yes. And we talked about world domination. And we didn't call it this, but we talked about demand generation and, and the whole idea about how sales and marketing need to come together. So, you know, from your perspective, both with what you're doing with your company, um, but also you know, as a thought leader in this industry, what does demand generation mean to you and, and why is it so important today? I would say demand generation is really um, create, creating demand for lack of a better term. Um, and, you know, it's the whole, rather than going out and knocking on doors, which I think you still have to do to some extent, it's combining that with the opportunity for people to come to you. So you can call it demand generation, you can call it inbound marketing, you can call it increased traffic to your website, whatever you want to call it. It's sort of the inbound sales side of things where they're coming to you because of the stuff that you're creating versus you having to go out and knock on doors cold. As a... As a precursor to the next question, you mentioned that you wrote the book Spin Sucks. Your blog is called Spin Sucks. What does Spin Sucks mean? <laughs> you know, when you tell people that you're a PR professional, <clears throat> they say one of two things to you, which is very interesting about um, people in general. But you say, you know, you're in, at a cocktail reception or you're on the plane or whatever. Oh, I do PR for a living. And they say either oh, you lie for a living, which is my favorite, because clearly we lie, all lie, all lie for a living. Or B, which is, oh, you're a spin doctor. Well, actually, neither one of those are true. And so 
Oh, actually, almost 10 years ago when we launched the blog, we were trying to think of something sort of catchy. And it was, it was at the time, the fight against destructive spin. And spin sucks became the URL. And we've since, since morphed it to spin sucks by itself. So how has PR changed? Or, or maybe <laughs> has PR changed? Let's start off there. Has PR changed or have some PR people changed? I would say the latter there are PR professionals who have changed. There are plenty of PR firms. There are plenty of business leaders who still see PR as media relations. And what's frustrating to me is that, sure, you need to, if you want to be in the New York Times or you want to be in your trade publication or you want to be on your local news segment, yes, you absolutely should do that. And you also should do content and you should do social media and you should do email marketing and you should do some paid sponsored posts and things like that you have to sort of take this integrated approach and there are plenty of pr professionals who do see that but i would say the majority are still very focused on media relations and then the add-on pieces so they may say okay well we do social but it's not really integrated with what you're doing on a media relations standpoint or we can help you with facebook retargeting but it's not it's not connected to your content so you have those add-ons where it's not it's not the, the firm especially isn't taking an integrated approach to it. You know, I, I was going to ask you, what do PR firms need to do? But given that answer, I want to change what I'm going to ask. Okay. I, I'm the owner of a company and there's a whole bunch of noise about PR. And, and you and I have talked about this before, especially in that mid-market space. A lot of uh, executives have kind of written off PR because it yep. is all about get your yep. name into the New York Times and great for my ego, but doesn't really do anything for my revenue. Right. As the executive of a mid-market business that's really trying to scale growth, how should I be looking at PR and, and how do I take advantage of it? What, what, what should I be looking at for success? I would look at it this way. I would really look at content, your website, your blog, your podcast, your videos, whatever whatever content you have that you're creating that you own, that is the center of it. And then PR really helps you sort of solidify the message, find the community, get it to the right people, make sure that you're talking to them in a conversational way versus a canned messaging way. Um, and then using social media to create that grassroots effect and then using media relations um, it's it's interesting now because, you know, when the economy tanked and newspapers and magazines went out of business and these journalists have are doing the job of five people now, they're looking for content. So if you have really good content that you've already created on your website and they can see that you've built a community and people are starting to see you as an expert or a thought leader, they'll come to you or they'll accept content from you when you go to them and say, boy, I'd really like to contribute an article on this, or I have an opinion on that, or I see you're looking for a, a columnist on this, they'll take that content from you. Of course, you know, they're not going to pay you for it, but you get, you get huge benefits from both an awareness standpoint and a search engine and an optimization standpoint. But also let's say that you have a column in Inc or Forbes. Now you're driving all of their visitors to your website. And once they come to your website, as you well know, you can start to collect them in terms of customers, nurturing them all the way through the process. You know, it really is funny because I remember when I first got in and I would create into the business and I would create content and I would try to chase down editors and publishers and convince them to uh, run my stuff. And now they're calling me or yep. emailing me saying, yep. hey. Yep. We'd love to publish your stuff. Amazing, isn't it? It's 
It's amazing. And that's exactly how it works. And and it's funny because now I look at them and I go, you know, do I really want to be is is that who I want to be highlighted by? <laughs> right. You know, the old the old day. Someone someone's willing to publish my stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, please. <laughs> Let's make that happen. Yeah. Um Artie, so all that stuff, it's really complicated to a business person who didn't grow up from a content perspective. How do you help people make sense of all that? You know, we will do everything. I mean, we go from a this, you know, creating the content for you. It's not. It's funny because you'll we'll work with marketing or communications departments inside organizations, and and those people will say, "Oh, I can't get my subject matter experts here to to write content. I can't get my executive to sit still for a minute to just write something down." And so we help them cre create process that allows them to get the content that we need. And sometimes it's just like this, you know, I need 15 minutes of your time and I'm gonna ask you questions and I'm gonna record it and then I'm gonna go back and write some content. Uh, it could be as simple as that. Or I've got my phone out, I'm gonna videotape you, I'm asking two questions and then we're gonna edit this into two 30 second videos. Um, so we really help them figure that, that piece of it out because unfortunately it's not unique that you know people just don't have time. And when it's not something that's, um, Oh, what's the word I want? When it's it's not something that you do all the time, it is hard. It is hard to to create content. Heck, I write a blog post every day, and it's hard for me. So, um, we try to create that process that allows it to make uh, it makes it easier. And of course, we'll write that we'll ghost break too, which I know there's a big hubbub about whether or not that's okay. But yeah, we we ghost write. I have no problem with ghosts. I have no problem. I have a ghost writer. I have no problem with it. Um, actually, the best is the Tom Clancy model, right? Where Tom right. started writing all his books, so he just hired other people and they wrote it, and it became a a Tom Clancy novel. That's when you a Gina Dietrich uh, blog post. That's when you know you will have uh, right. you will have made it. You will have made it. Um, so where let, let's say you've got a company, they've got uh, they've got a blog post. I mean, they've got a blog. They write to it inconsistently. They maybe have a little bit of social media, um, but but nothing has has been done on an ongoing, consistent basis. So they're not getting a lot of benefit from it right now. Mm -hmm. How would how should that company start to when they say, "All right, we're ready to get serious about it"? What, do, where should they start? What should they do? I would do two things. The, well, I would I take that back. I would do three things. The first thing I would do is figure out what my priority keywords are. And you certainly are not going to write content based on your priority keyword. Like I spoke to a Vistage group last week and and I went through this process and the guy, one of the guys in the in the group said, okay, well, I do Christmas lights. And I'm like, okay, so Christmas lights is a target for you. And he said, yeah, okay, well, first of all, you can't, you're not going to be able to rank for Christmas lights because the whole freaking world wants to rank for Christmas lights. So let's dig down and say, how to what what kinds of things do you do really well well one of the things that he does really well is he gets them on you know really these in chicago specifically there are these great big homes that they're building now that are five stories tall so he'll get up on five stories and, and hang those so we created christmas how to hang christmas lights on tall buildings essentially or how to hang christmas lights on angled roofs so the things where he has sort of that point of differentiation and then we say okay based on that let's go and let's figure out what kinds of questions our customers are, and prospects are asking us. And this is a very like Marcus Sheridan, the sales line um, theory, but what kinds of questions are they asking? So they are asking, should I hire 
somebody or can I hang Christmas lights on my own? Um, is it difficult to hang on an angled roof? What are your tricks for Christmas lights on angled roofs? So we, we went through and created a list of about 20 questions in about five minutes um, that he's getting around Christmas lights from his customers. And now he has content for that. So figure out your keywords, um, at, write down the list of questions that people ask. And then the other thing I would say is don't try to go out and publish three to five times a week. We have a client who publishes once a month, but he spends all month talking to experts, finding statistics, and it's it ends up being by the time it's done finished, it's about a two thousand word article. It's not even a blog post. I would say it's an article, and he's interviewed experts. And when he interviews the experts, they of course share the content. Um, he's got stats and information and really in depth research in there, and he's found that's much more successful for him than when he was writing three times a week. So I would say if you can focus on your keywords, the questions that prospects and customers are asking, and then really focus in on one really good piece of content per month, you can build it from there. From there, as you begin to get that traction, you begin to see some results. I have found that people typically make two mistakes when it comes to content. I want to get your opinion on it and then how you would recommend they handle it. The first mistake they make is they start creating content. They're doing that consistently. They meet the plan and they go, where's the revenue? Where's the revenue? Right. And so they, you know, they jump to revenue too quickly. The other mistake is that they never measure by revenue. They kind of buy the, well, I'm, you know, creating a platform or I'm trying to grow my awareness. Um, so they're either, you know, jumping too far too fast or they're not really assessing the business purpose of what they're doing is, is that a, would you agree with that as two common mistakes that people make totally agree with that 100 percent. yes so how do i begin to measure it at what point do i start looking to revenue what's the discipline around all that content and all that work to make sure i'm doing the right things get better and make sure i'm not throwing money away well <laughs> We were joking before you hit the record button that, you know, me, myself, just figured out how to, just last year, figured out how to, to generate revenue from, from an online perspective. Um, it's, you have to, it's, so we launched what, what we call SpinSlux Pro in 2011, and it flopped. It did not do what we expected it to do. We knew that, we knew that we had something in terms of the idea, but from an execution standpoint, it was horrible. And I also think that we were too far ahead of the curve because um, we were trying to do online courses in 2011. And of course, that wasn't even in existence yet. Um, so we had to customize a learning management system. They, those didn't exist off the shelf yet. I mean, it was just, it, it flopped. And so we took that idea and we started tweaking and playing with it. And of course, it wasn't our full-time business model because we weren't making any money at it. But last year, we sort of figured out the process. And part of it is trial and error and tweaking. And, you know, the other part was I was looking to things like Coursera and some other online courses, Linda. Um, there's a King Flower company that does um, online cooking classes. So I was looking to those industries for examples on what to do and what not to do. And then I also drove, delved deep into email marketing and the psychology of that versus, oh, I've got to create really good content so that people subscribe to my newsletter. We stopped doing that 
and we really delved deep into the psychology of what makes people buy. And then we had to figure out what people were going to buy. And as a service business, you know, you don't, from, from that perspective, I don't have anything that people can buy online because we sell our time. So then we had to create, we created online courses, we created a coaching group, we created um, eBooks and webinars and things like that that people could buy. And then we, we allow that to sort of passively work on its own. So I think it's a lot of trial and error. It's not a one size fits all. It's certainly easier if you have something to sell online and if not necessarily sell online, but maybe you have a free trial or, you know, things that people, something that people can do online, it's certainly a lot easier that way. Um, if you, if you're a mid-market market company in manufacturing, for instance, perhaps you have some sort of online request for proposal. So now you can track people through that process and create your sales funnel to get them to fill out that request for proposal. And then you take it into your traditional sales model, which is your expertise, not mine. Um, <laughs> but I think there are lots of ways that you can sort of look at it, but it is, it's trial and error. It's studying, it's professional development. It's trying to figure out what other industries are doing that you like and what they're doing that you don't like. And, you know, I remember speaking to a Vistage group probably five years ago and one of the members took me aside during the break and he said, boy, it must be really lonely for you. And I said, why? And he said, you're forging this path and you've got one lantern and nobody's behind you. <laughs> People are finally behind me. But I think that's part of it too, is that a lot of, especially your listeners will be forging this path and nobody's going to be following them. So it's going to be a little bit difficult at first. Yeah, I think one of the biggest difficulties when you're playing this content game and this whole demand generation game is in, in the industrial age, for, for lack of a better description, a lot of business growth was about find a company that did what you want to do and kind of take their playbook and play with it. Cause, right, right. And that's what they're trying to do today. And you can't do that. I no. mean, every every demand generation every content program is unique it follows some common rules but but you've got to find literally your voice and you know it's funny the moment you ask someone when they're talking offline they're all excited they you listen to them talk about their business you're like wow they do something really cool and you say okay let's record this because we're going to write something up about it and all of a sudden they become the most boring people on the planet it's true Yes. And then, and then I'm like, well, no wonder why no one buys from you. Because if you sounded like this when you were talking to me, I wouldn't buy from you either. And right. It's, it's, right. I don't, it, it, there, there must be something in that psychology that you studied that, that lets us know why they do that. Well, I think part of it is that we don't want to give away our secret sauce. And oh, we're, we're so afraid of giving away any intellectual property that we just sort of clam up. And to that end, you know, my industry is at fault too, because until five years ago, you hired a PR firm to message you. You didn't say anything that didn't, you all said the same exact thing. It was the same exact three messages, you know, over and over and over again. And I think that's part of the problem too, is we've gotten so accustomed to being robots in the way we communicate because it was always one way, you know, it was always out to the customer and the customer never had the opportunity to come back and talk to us. So that's completely changed. Yeah, that's really funny. I, and I, it, you're bringing back some thoughts because I'm constantly saying, look, forget the marketing speak. For, just tell me. Please, yes. You know, just be authentic. Tell me the truth. Let, let people know who and what you are. And, um, and, and, and they'll get excited from that because when you talk, it's exciting. Right. Um, you talked earlier about as you're creating that content, then you can, you know, in increasingly the, the media world is now looking for good content. Uh, I know you got some people excited uh, on this 
podcast, as you said, your column starts to appear on Inc. or Forbes. Um, how do you recommend that someone who has been working at creating content, they've established that base? It was funny. I was listening to, I was at a speech, Gary uh, Vaynerchuk, mm -hmm. um, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you can't be a 22-year-old life coach. He goes, I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't work. And, and, you know, I, I heard that and I think about, you know, someone says, oh, I wrote two blog posts. Why isn't Inc. Magazine right. um, picking me up yet? Right. So, you know, we're not we're not talking about the 22 year old life coaches here. They, <laughs> they've been blogging for three or four years. They put out good content. How do you recommend that they begin to approach those broader platforms that can really help and expand their um, their base and their, their exposure, their platform? Well, for, the first thing is, is figure out where you want to be. And to your point, Doug, is you know, is it, is this publication really going to help me or is it just a good ego boost? So, you know, for me, I'm not going to be on Inc or, or Forbes, for instance, but I am going to be on Huffington Post and Open Forum because that's what my customers read, my client, my prospective clients read. So you have to figure out um, which publications make sense for you and then just start digging. Um, certainly you can hire a PR professional or a PR firm to do that for you and they presumably have the relationships already to, to help with that. But it's not that hard. You just go to the website and most of them have want to contribute content or be a guest blogger or something to that effect that you can click on and figure out, um, you know, go through the process of, of contributing, of, of uh, sending contributed content to them. What about sites like business to community and things like that, that, that kind of rely on guest bloggers or, or guest posts? What, what do you find about the real impact of that from your perspective? Yeah. Um, I know some people have had really good luck with it, but I, you know, from my perspective, I'd rather see the con the content lived on your site. Yeah. In the beginning, it may like business to community or social media today or any of those may help you build a new audience. But in my experience, both with ourselves and with our clients, it's been kind of junk traffic where, you know, they may come to the site and check out the article, but they're not actually, and, and because they're running the article in full form on your, on their site versus sending them to yours, you're not always going to get the leads and all that. So it might be good from a, a starting perspective, but I wouldn't do it for very long. Okay. Okay. I am a senior VP sales and marketing for a $50 million print company, manufacturing company, something like that. Um, I want to take what you talk a lot about on your blog and, and what I've been reading more and more about in terms of I want to build a community. I want to always be helping, et cetera. But, but I don't live in the sexy world of PR mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or marketing or technology. How do I build a community? How do, how do I make that playbook work for me? So I'm going to give you an example of a client that it worked really well for. So same kind of thing. They came to us probably four years ago and said exactly what you just said, but we make doors and locks. Like it's not an exciting business at all, at all. Um, so we sent a survey to their email list and we asked, uh, I can't remember, asked two sort of businessy questions up front. And then we asked um, multiple choice where do you participate online personally and where do you participate online professionally? And what we discovered is that 
and it wasn't really a big surprise because I think you could surmise this immediately anyway, is that most people had, you know, were participating in groups on LinkedIn. Um, we couldn't get them to comment on the blog to save our lives. Uh, they were sharing the blog. The newsletter subscriptions were continuing to increase. Um, you know, we we could we were we were having really good luck generating very very qualified leads from the newsletter and the blog, but we couldn't we weren't really building that community. So we built a private community on LinkedIn, and that thing has exploded. And in the last, I would say, 18 months, we've noticed that that's the case overall. And you've probably seen this too, where comments on blogs have just pretty much dropped off the face of this earth. Right. Um, and where it's all gone is private stuff. So I think part of it is that people don't want bosses to know that they're hanging out online. So you can, you know, you obviously could see if somebody's commenting on a blog, if they're not, not working instead, they're commenting on a blog. Uh, but also they're, they're bigger, more strategic, large conversations happening in private groups um, that people are participating in. And so I would really focus in on one or two places that you feel like, and, and certainly survey your customers if that's the right thing to do, um, where you feel like they're going to, to start participating. Um, it probably takes, I'd say 90 days for it to start to to grasp hold and you you're as the moderator you would have you have to go in every day and ask a question and sort of engage people and you know you have to put that work in but i would say after the first 90 days if you're doing that consistently it's going to start to take hold that's a, that's a great point i think far too often people try to create these groups or they try to do these things and and they think well if i share the content that i've already created then people will subscribe or they'll follow my linkedin profile and you really have to answer the question what are you going to do to make it worth following your your linkedin group or whatever the case may be and that's a, a a great example so let me give you let me just tell you really quickly so um i was i'm in a group for about lead generation um and there's some big hitters in there in in this group but i'll tell you the person who started it every day he goes in and he pops in sort of a question so he'll he, like the other day he wrote let's talk resources what are your favorite learning testing implementing tools for lead generation what books websites tools platforms blogs podcasts do you pay attention to where do you learn and how do you get lead generation done so you see that he's sort of just dropped that question in it has nothing to do with his content He's not put a link in there. He's just starting the conversation. And there's 41 comments on it over five days. So, you know, in the beginning, it certainly wasn't like that. But every day he's going in and he's asking a question like that to get people engaged and interested. And now you start to see that it's beginning to take hold on its own. You, you just said something that, that struck, and I'm going to violate the, the code of interviewing because i'm going to kind of give you my answer and say so what do you think about that though i realize <laughs> I, I did that once already the you know when when i started blogging i i was ready for it i've seen a lot of people that are not that you know you write your first blog and everyone wants to go and say so how much traffic did we get um and and really for the first three months six months i mean you and i we've been blogging for almost a, a decade or more right um and, and you definitely remember what it's like, you know, who's reading your blog? Well, my mom read it today. So my was, mom? Yes. Right. She, oh, she, no viewers. I guess my mom was busy. She didn't get a chance. Right. right. You know, hey, mom, you remember, you're supposed to click on that. <laughs> I need it from my analytics. 
but you really are writing into this echo chamber. Um, and, you know, then all of a sudden a couple people read it, then all of a sudden four people read it. And then, you know, before you know it, you've got a conversation going and you're an overnight success after three years. Right. There's that aspect. I, I, actually, I was working with a company that, that did fitness programs and they were starting with groups and they, they kept, they would open up a group and then no one would sign up for it. So they would close the group down. And, and I said to him, I said, no, you've got to run those groups with one person. And because eventually the second person will sign up and then eventually people will, will think, oh, that group's real. And, and I think I see a lot of people, they begin to do something, they want to see the result. Mm -hmm. but, but if you think about that group thing, it's almost like un until it's been there for three or six months, I don't want to invest myself in answering because you haven't proven that you're serious about it, that I'll know you'll still be there if I invest myself in it. Right. And, and, and building that into your expectation, I think, is so crucial if you're serious about standing out today. It has to be. I mean, and it's, I don't wouldn't say it's any different than when we started or, you know, when social media took off in 2009. It's not any differently than that, where you you had to invest the time up front to build those kinds of things. And now for you, I'm sure it works sort of seamlessly. And for me, it definitely works seamlessly. You know, I don't I go in and dabble maybe 15 or 20 minutes a day where I used to spend an hour or more a day sort of building that and cultivating and all of those kinds of things. Right. And, you know, we've seen the same thing with our podcast. You know, if I had started off with the podcast and this was the first thing that I did, it, you know, I, I wouldn't even be able to measure anything. But right. Because we spent that decade building a platform, building a following. We added this, you know, we've gotten a lot of traction really fast. And um, and that's that whole asset that you build out. Right. Jenny, you, I mean, we could talk for hours and I know you've got things to do and, um, and, and we'll definitely circle back. Why, why don't you tell people, because I know you have stimulated some thoughts um, and if you haven't, then people have been asleep. How can they, how can they learn more from, from your experience? Um, how can they reach out to you? How do they know if you can help them? Take a minute, let us know how to get in touch with you and, and, and who's the right person to be reaching out to, to Armin Dietrich or Spin Sucks Pro. Um, well, spinsucks.com is the best place. Everything's there. You can find email and social media and all that. Um, you can also subscribe, in which case you'll get things like um, you can actually see our email campaigns so that you can see how we create the opportunity for people to buy from us every day. Um, so if you're curious about how that works, that's there from a from a, just a cerebral standpoint. Um, but for us, the you know, we work in mid-market b2b um businesses so that's that's probably the best target for us cool jenny thank you so much for joining us uh really appreciate it we'll, we'll have to have uh, a part two conversation and then a part three four and five sometime right, well <laughs> it may take us a year to get there but <laughs> exactly exactly thanks for having me i hope you enjoyed listening to jenny every bit as much as i had uh, interviewing her uh, I don't know about you. I was taking notes during the conversation. I know uh, already I'm going to change a little bit of my approach in terms of how we're going to reach out to publications and how we're going to leverage the content that we've developed to get it out on bigger platforms, um, how we are going to engage with our market a little bit. You know, that's the great thing about Jenny is uh, it doesn't matter how long you've been doing what you're doing. Uh, talk to her for 5, 10, 15 minutes and you are bound to learn um, at least a couple of things. If you want to learn more about what Jenny does, I really encourage you to subscribe to her blog, spinsucks.com. 
you're going to get a totally different take on PR. Um, if you're a business owner, a marketer, a, a senior sales rep, a senior sales executive, whatever the case may be, uh, you'll learn a lot about the truth of what really drives results in content, in social media, um, and in PR. Well, well worth the time to uh, spend into that. So again, thank you so much, uh, Jenny. Uh, I hope to have you on again soon because uh, talking to you is a whole bunch of fun and I'm sure we can find some other subjects. You and I should dig deep into sales at some point because I know you don't do sales per se from a training or um, services standpoint, but uh, I've always loved your take on um, how things really impact that end sale point. So that's something everyone can look forward to in the future. That is episode eight. I don't know how your 2016 is going so far. Uh, ours is crazy. Uh, frankly, we're a little bit behind where we want to be in terms of podcast episodes and, and some of our podcast promotions. So uh, hopefully you'll see some more things coming out more rapidly. Please subscribe to the podcast if you can. Um, if you feel so inclined, I'd love you to review it, uh, whether you review it on iTunes or you know, you just give me some feedback and, and let me know what you think about it. Is it helping you? Um, are you finding the conversations valuable? What can we do to make it more valuable? So thanks again for joining us on episode eight. Uh, thank you, Jenny, for joining us and uh, sharing your time and giving your insights. And I look forward to episode nine. We've got a great interview on episode nine. I'm really excited about that. I'm, I'm not going to let it out of the bag. You'll have to come back. Uh, and so I will say until next time. <laughs>